Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. If you're new here, I want to say thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending us your ears and the only non-renewable resource you've got. That, of course, is your time. Promise we will invest it wisely. Today's entrepreneurs are co-founders in a platform that will invest more than your time, your treasure, into climate solutions. Franz Hochstrasser and Jackie Logan created the platform Raise Green to help lift projects out of uncertainty and allow retail investors like you and me to invest in climate action. That is something that we are all about here on Suncast. As I'm sure you're aware, we've had a number of investors and clean tech CEOs, climate tech, if you will, who are creating platforms and vehicles to invest in climate solutions, to invest in clean energy. We've had Energia and Finite.io and uh, recently Craig Lawrence from Energy Transition Ventures, my friend Ravi and Atmos. We've got so many interesting companies and I'm going to add to it today with Franz and Jackie. The conversation dives into how Franz first found himself trying to figure out how to get solar projects financed and how he partnered with a seasoned veteran in finance, that being Jackie Logan, to lift this platform out of obscurity. I hope that you enjoy this. I'll go deeper into who they are and what they do in just a moment. If you're subscribed to the show, that will ensure that you won't miss out on these kinds of conversations every week when they pop into your feed twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Of course, you can always go back and listen to the entire back catalog, either right there in your app or from the comfort of your browser at mysuncast.com. More than 585 such episodes for you to dig into with clean energy founders, their stories, and their startup advice. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. If you have been listening along for the last several months, you know that I'm leaning hard into how can we possibly raise enough capital to finance the infrastructure needs of Energy 2.0, the climate finance requirements for the kind of aggressive build out of renewables and and taking the kind of climate action we need is, uh, is seemingly insurmountable on the surface. And there are some fantastic startups in the industry who are tackling it head on with innovative platform scale models. One such entity is a company called Raise Green. I had the pleasure of getting to know the founders of Raise Green and they're joining us today. Franz Hochstrasser is the CEO and co-founder of Raise Green and has been a climate advocate for more than 15 years, uh, notably working as a special envoy for climate change in the Obama administration, uh, having moved on from Obama administration to specialize in climate policy. And we're going to learn more about how he has 
parlayed that experience on Capitol Hill into raising capital for the industry. His co-founder, Jackie Logan, is a distinguished 20-plus year veteran of the finance uh, and fixed income sector of the market, working at Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Citigroup, a veritable finance pro and expert who balances out Franz on this platform that helps raise capital in projects everyday folks like you and me are building. I want to welcome Franz and Jackie to Suncast. Thank nice you so here. much. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. Well, it's exciting to have a chance to get another uh, another round of conversation with you all. I've really enjoyed getting to know you. Uh, Jackie, first of all, thank you for being a Suncast listener and for and, huge, and for introducing huge fan. <laughs> thank you. And for introducing me to Raise Green, which I'd heard about but not had a chance to really get to know you all. So I'll say in the outset, if if you, like Jackie, are longtime listener, first time caller, and would like to uh, tell me more about your company, there's a probability that uh, that you also are doing something very interesting that we should shine a light on. I want to start at the the cocktail party conversation starter that is describing the actual fundamental foundational problem that you identified when you created Raise Green. How do you enunciate that problem, Franz, as you're out trying to tell people what you're doing? Well, Nico, um, you know, coming from a background in working on international climate negotiations and climate policy at the U.S. Uh, federal level, um, I look at this problem at first from the macro level. And so what I would say is that the world needs a whole of society mobilization to cut carbon pollution fast enough uh, to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. And the two key ingredients to that mobilization are more money and more people. And until recently, nine out of 10 Americans have been mostly left out of the opportunities to invest in private companies and local small businesses. And so that's about a $5 trillion uh, chunk of money that is sitting in American household net worth in check checking accounts, savings accounts, yielding little to no return and could be mobilized for climate solutions. And even can, though can you last say that year, number again, how much? Yeah, five, $5 trillion. Uh, this is a, a Bloomberg number uh, of hmm. American household net worth. And even though last year was the first year that globally we were able to mobilize more than a trillion dollars for climate solutions, um, we still need that number to be about four to five times greater um, in order to truly uh, deploy climate solutions fast enough. So activating more people and activating uh, more money uh, is, is the problem. You remind me a lot of our friend Ravi Mickelson at Atmos because the two of you both have like such dialed info on the amount of money currently stagnant and worse than stagnant sitting in what you believe is a otherwise safe and good vehicle at your Chase or your Bank of America account. And unbeknownst to you, you're actually doing the wrong and opposite thing. Myself included, I have yet to move my investments away or my, my, my checking account away from Chase. Uh, in mass, despite the fact that statistics show, like facts show that they are investing our money into, by and large, things that we wouldn't otherwise invest in, like fossil fuels. Thank you for setting the stage for that. It's really helpful. Next, would you introduce me to this company we've we've mentioned a couple of times, Raise Green. Why is what you've created going to solve what you have just enunciated as this massive gap in availability for, I would say, like retail investors to access and unlock their capital for climate action. You know, Raise Green uses 
regulation crowdfunding, uh, which is very recently uh, come into uh, effect as, as late as 2016. Um, so we use regulation crowdfunding to raise money for pre-screened clean energy projects and climate companies. Um, they can raise from about $50,000 up to $5 million per company per year. Uh, they have to be U.S. climate companies, um, and they can raise anything, any, any type of security. So non-dilutive debt, equity, convertible notes, safes, uh, and for any type of, of climate-related uh, project or across any uh, industry. Um, and so we have used that, uh, that mechanism now for the last uh, three-plus years uh, to mobilize about $6 million for climate solutions. But the key piece is that we've done that with uh, about 3,000 investors and about 20,000 members. Um, so getting more people involved in financing climate solutions um, is what Raise Green is designed to do. Can you say that last part again, the metrics on how many people have invested or how that works? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have um, about 3,000 investor accounts. Uh, and then we also have about 20,000 members who are following along and who we're looking to activate uh, to get them more involved uh, with their, their dollars as well. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there, which we'll do in a minute. I want to understand what members mean and, and the differentiation for you between members and investors, but we'll get to that in a minute. And if for some reason I forget, feel free to bring it back in, but I want to bring in your illustrious co-founder and, uh, uh, and ask a question around sort of the, the financial milestones, because you introduced something that probably folks may have heard of, but they haven't necessarily um, really heard defined well. And with that, I want to say, you know, Jackie, as a co-founder and chief investment officer, it's your job often to not only create the financial product itself, but to help folks understand what it means and how it differentiates itself from other options that they might have. Could you just take a moment, introduce us to Reg CF or crowdfunding, mm -hmm. um, how, how and why you use that tool versus the other alternatives that might've been available to raise green. And then uh, the success markers along the way that you've been able to point to and say, see, it's working. <laughs> High level, you know, regulation crowdfunding is, you know, it came out of the Jobs Act. The Jobs Act was basically to create jobs. Um, and the idea behind it was to enable uh, small to medium-sized businesses across the United States to be able to access capital, um, which is historically not always so easy to access and to leverage their loyal communities to do that, which means opening it up to just about anyone to mm -hmm. invest. And when you think about, and so the regulation uh, in 2016, as Franz mentioned, uh, became effective. It is called Regulation CF. And it, like other regulations that are out there, which enable securities to be issued in a you know, compliant and legal way, is... Uh, a, an incredibly flexible tool for both folks that are trying to raise capital and folks that would like to participate um, in investing. Um, it is completely online, uh, which is a requirement. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And absolutely mm -hmm. completely online. Um, and uh, issuers, uh, with the help of, and the, the regulation created what's called a funding portal. And that's mm -hmm. what Raise Green is. I'm sure everybody's heard of the term broker-dealer. Mm, yeah. Uh, you may have heard of a registered investment advisor. Um, right. And a, a new entity type was created at that time called a funding portal. And that is what Raise Green is. And we are specifically 
um, registered in order to work with folks across the United States. Um, and Raise Green is 100% dedicated to climate. Um, there are other crowdfunding platforms out there, but we are climate. Uh, and with that, a certain expertise that comes along with that, understanding mm -hmm. solar, et cetera. But um, work with those folks to identify what kind of capital do they need and what, in what form should they raise it. Um, and then help, help them with their documentation, get mm -hmm. it um, submitted to the SEC, and then open it up to investment on our platform to the crowd. Um, and the beautiful thing is that anybody who's 18 or older uh, can invest uh, wow. as little as $100 um, and, get, and, and, and start their climate action today. As little as $100. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Now, mm -hmm. Franz mentioned 3,000 investors, 20,000 members. Could you uh, sort of distinguish for me the difference between those two, that, that language? So 3,000 investor accounts, that means that they have mm -hmm. signed up on Raise Green and have access to invest through the platform. And then our 20,000 community members, Franz, would you, how would you characterize? Those are folks that are on our, you know, basically contactless marketing, interested in hearing what's up with Raise Green. Um, not all have obviously yet mm -hmm. taken the next step to um, open up an account, but um, we invite them to do it, um, as well as, you know, folks that are listening to this uh, to this, uh, podcast. It's as yeah. easy as one, two, three. Yeah. Well, hopefully you're going to send it out to that 20,000 members to listen to, and I will see a huge <laughs> spike on some Absolutely. <laughs> That's Plus fantastic. More. Yeah. If you're listening, uh, because you came from that list, thank you for taking the time to be with us. As I've said already, hopefully this helps you get to the point where you are ready to move from member to investor. We're going to try and compel you that now is the time and raise green is a platform worthy of your attention. And, uh, and your investment. Are, is there, could you talk a bit about, uh, Jackie, some of the, uh, the higher level milestones in terms of capital raised, um, maybe even how you've funded the business? We'll get into business model in a little bit, but I'm very curious in the outset, some of those milestones that might catch people's attention. Great. So why don't I, I'll let Franz talk about how we fund our own business, but I will, uh, a few key milestones for us. So we Launched our, you know, Raise Green came into being in 2018, got our mm -hmm. license uh, in 2019, and launched our first offering in July of 2020. I will say that Raise Green is very focused on compliance um, and doing everything, you know, for the regulations. So, you know, we sometimes, you know, we're, we and our the folks that work with us on the issuance side understand that we are very methodical in what we do here at Raise mm -hmm. Green. Uh, so we have to date, very excited, we've done uh, 24 securities offerings. We have uh, raised over $6 million through the marketplace. We have done the first uh, designated green bond offering. As you know, in the institutional market, every, there are bonds that are verified green. We've actually yeah. done one of those in crowdfunding, and we think it's the first and only one that's been done really? with the Connecticut Green Bank. Yes. Oh, that's cool. So the first, the first in the U.S. as a registered green bond. As a registered green bond, yeah. So not that you know, in some ways, stuff you know, issuances on our marketplace. In, you know, we as as Franz says, we pre-screen everything, mm -hmm. um, you know, for impact on climate. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, still nice to have that verification. That was done with the Connecticut Green Bank, and again, their purpose is not just that they can can access more capital because they have actually access to the municipal bond market, uh, which can be very cost effective, but they are very, very focused on opening up access 
to the community. Um, not always so easy to invest in climate if you have just $100 to participate. How successful our issuers have felt uh, the platform to be is, is like the Connecticut Green Bank, we're seeing repeat issuances. So mm -hmm. they come back again and again and again, which is great both for our investors as for the issuers, because every you know folks are familiar with them, it's easier to get them up on the platform, and mm -hmm. we can uh, we can finance climate even faster. What occurs to me is when you say something like repeat issuances or i.e. repeat investors, it seems like folks are gonna and they're gonna ask themselves like, how is this different from Mosaic? Is this similar to like a Kiva finance? Right? Are you just if I'm investing hundred bucks, am I providing a loan with a guaranteed um, interest? What is it, how does it look for me, the investor, sure. and why would um, why are people coming back for repeat issuances? You know, crowdfunding is a is a catch all, right? Mm. Typically, we think about it in terms of uh, originally in terms of donations, right? Mm -hmm. GoFundMe, GoFundMe is I, I've got a you know an event, I need people to you know finance right. it, donate to me. Okay, that's one. Mm -hmm. um, then we have something like Kickstarter which is, okay, I'm a business and I'm just getting going. Um, would you like to give me some funding for it? And I'll give you some sort of, I'll give you a product or something like that. I want to see this done. That's another type of crowdfunding. And then there is what we call investment crowdfunding. And that is what Raise Green is and certain other uh, platforms that you're probably familiar with, the larger names like a, a Republic or a WeFunder, um, we are actually literally issuing securities okay. for companies and they are investments where investors expect to get a financial return. Mm -hmm. The difference at Raise Green is investors are here for a financial return, but also an impact. So, for example, you can invest in a, a debt like uh, a five-year Connecticut Green Bank has done one-year notes at, a, at, mm -hmm. an at, you know, at a certain interest rate. They pay, pay it back at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, we have folks that are issuing five-year notes. Those are all debt instruments. We have folks issuing equity-like instruments. Those are longer-term investments, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole variety on Raise Green. Um, so it's something for everybody. You know, to the point of moving uh, members to investors, uh, a big part of, you know, drawing in more people into the climate movement and getting them more active is education. Um, and so, you know, in part, um, it's a tremendous opportunity to be on on this show with you, Nico, and, and share our message with, with your audience. Um, and that's what we work to do, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis with those members and our growing list of, of newsletter uh, subscribers is to, to share the opportunity and also the, the educational opportunity to learn about the difference between debt and equity, um, the difference between you know, convertible uh, debt versus a, a simple agreement for future equity. And, and those are important distinctions for financial literacy. Um, and then also to learn about, you know, different types of climate solutions across the, the spectrum of what is going to help us uh, reduce emissions fast enough um, and then prepare our communities for the impacts of climate uh, that we're already seeing. So that variability um, is, is a sort of tremendous teaching opportunity for us. And we're pleased to have been able to, so far already, you know, span a lot of different uh, financial products and work with a lot of different types of issuers um, to, you know, to, to extend uh, that awareness and, and involvement uh, more broadly. Uh, in, in so doing as well, um, we have actually 
won the Impact Investment Platform of the Year in 2022 uh, from Environmental Finance Magazine. So that, that was a nice accolade to pin on our jacket, uh, which we're, we're very proud of. Um, and hopefully we can, we can make folks just as uh, appreciative this year uh, and, and you know, do it all again but bigger. We, we also um, have the <clears throat> amazing opportunity of being selected one of 10 companies back in 2021 uh, to be included in the Techstars uh, Futures of Finance uh, with um, program, one of 10 countries across the world uh, yeah. to do that. And uh, the focus on that was sustainable finance and digital securities, um, which was an amazing opportunity to connect with folks doing uh, amazing things across the across the globe. So at a corporate level, uh, I'm going to assume then that that was where you first kickstarted sort of the financing of the business through Techstars, a well-known accelerator. Was that, uh, did you get um, like an angel round before that? And was Techstars in, involved in like a pre-seed round for your business? So Techstars was involved in the, in the pre-seed round. This was a Techstars ABN AMRO investment um, that they made as part of the program. We had raised a limited amount, a few hundred thousand dollars in advance of uh, early 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so we, and actually we originally got our start uh, from winning Startup Yale, which was a pitch competition, and then joining the SAI Center for Innovative Thinking at Yale's uh, summer fellowship. Uh, mm -hmm. So that gave us a little bit of seed capital, um, helped us kind of turn it into a real business and start the process of uh submitting applications for a FINRA membership to become a funding portal. It really was that spring of 2020 when, um, you know, we, we had gotten a PPP loan and then uh, we had investment commitments sort of pile on really quickly and go from, uh, you know, a few hundred thousand raised to 1.3 million raised um, in the, in a matter of two months, uh, including that Techstars program. Um, yeah. And that was also shortly after we had launched uh our first offering with Block Power, um, mm -hmm. and and working with them to structure uh, to structure an offering, and and um, to date though now we have uh, raised more than two point seven million in total capitalization for the company, and that includes um, an opportunity that where, where we're actually putting our stock where our values are, um, mm. and selling our own uh, simple agreement for future equity on WeFunder this time. Because uh, we can't do it on our own platform, unfortunately, but we do want to make it uh, available for anyone to invest in Raise Green. And now you can invest in our company as well for as little as a hundred dollars um, to help us, you know, continue to build the momentum. Speaking of early days, uh, for those who perhaps are listening for the first time, a lot of uh, the Suncast interview typically is centered around and how you got where you are. So I'd be remiss to leave that out. And Jackie is going to need to step out of the interview here in a moment. I want to ask you, Jackie, first of all, I know that you were raised in New York. Can you give me a sense of those early days for you? Um, you know, what was it like around the dinner table for your family? Was it a close-knit family? And were there any early signs that you were sort of destined for a career in finance and entrepreneurship? So, yes, yes I grew up in New York City, um, the daughter of immigrant parents. Uh, a very interesting combination, a Jewish Holocaust refugee and mm. an Irish Protestant uh, first generation American. Mm. So I talk about a little bit of a crazy household, but an amazing household. And it taught me a lot about being open-minded 
and embrace and, and seizing the day and yeah. uh, a love a love for the United States. And the amazing thing is not only was I growing up here in New York City, going to public school and with all the the, the diversity that comes along with that, I also had the amazing opportunity of spending my entire summer living on a dairy farm with my grandmother, uh, running in the fields and digging, you know, cow manure and doing all that kinds of stuff. Uh-huh. So the amazing combination and, and the dinner conversations that came with that brought a couple of things. One is um, hard work, yeah. being a good citizen, education, and the appreciation for shared space that, you know, I grew up in very tight space, really, really appreciating the fact that I, I am one of many that, mm. you know, I, I, we, we, we don't deserve anything. We work for things and we need to care for those around us, um, including yeah. our environment. And uh, so yeah. early on, you know, I, you know, that has been so instilled in me and that I have a responsibility uh, to make a difference. Um, and that make a difference, by the way, could be just being kind to my neighbor. It was never, mm. it never had to be something big and global. It literally, as my father would say, you know, it starts at home. So that has been a driver for me all along. Um, but I yeah. you know, started out more focused on science and the arts. I uh, actually was a professional dancer earlier on and like before what? I went to college. Yeah, but <laughs> a long, long time ago. Uh, but then uh, after college, got involved in, in finance and the securities markets and absolutely fell in love with the energy, the movement, uh, the, the impact it can have on making things happen. Mm-hmm. And I am a true believer in the power of private capital. It can make mm-hmm. great things happen. Uh, and so uh, with that, uh, you know, spent 20 plus years. Uh, in the securities markets, uh, with wow. varying positions from being on the trading floor, selling securities to large investors like Vanguard, all the way to working in private wealth, actually overseeing trading from a compliance perspective. Abs- absolutely love the securities markets, big believer. When you think about the the folks that influenced the mindset, the philosophy that you approach life with, are there any personal heroes that instilled in you that um, what ultimately germinated this desire to see private capital flourish into climate action? I would say that just in terms of my environmental focus, my late uncle, um, who was my father's brother, which by the way, my father's brother married my mother's sister. So I I just like talk about (laughs) intense family. Um, But my, my late uncle was an environmentalist early on. He was out protesting on the steps. Uh, He worked for the Voice of America uh, broadcast news to Czechoslovakia. He was uh, out on the steps of the Capitol with signs protesting in the early 60s already about the environment Mm. and, uh, you know, really, really feeling that we needed to take action. Um, Mm. Otherwise, you know, and it was up to us as citizens. Uh, So I'd say that, that in terms of my direct focus on you know, taking environmental action, uh, it would be my great uncle, Leslie. Jackie, I, we're going to have to say goodbye to you, unfortunately, because you are, uh, yeah. you're, you're requested in other venues yeah. and have mm-hmm. uh, a lot to accomplish mm-hmm. to, to move this company forward. But before we do, before we say goodbye and I turn the, uh, turn the focus to Franz and, uh, the germ of an idea that became Ray's green mm-hmm. and, and how he got there. Tell me how you first met 
Franz? How'd you guys get put together? So <clears throat> I had decided uh, that I was very interested, that climate was a problem. It was a passion for me. And I had this huge securities background and I saw the amazing interest that I was seeing from particularly in the private wealth area, but across the board mm -hmm. in moving, in, in investing in, in climate um, and impact. But I was not impressed with what was available for folks. Mm. And I just decided I had to take my experience and find a way to get private capital moving directly into, into climate and now. And I just happened to be on that journey of trying to figure out where that spot was. It was Climate Week, New York City, September 2019. Just happened to go to an event that Yale was putting on of the hundreds wow. of events. There was an empty seat at lunch. I sat down and lo and behold, met Matt Maroney, who's our, one of our other, our other co-founder. Mm -hmm. then, then Franz came over and the next thing I knew, one conversation led to another. I jumped ship and joined Gray's Green and I never looked back. It's been an amazing adventure. We are doing important things at Raise Green. Our team is amazing. Yeah. And just being out there and meeting folks that are trying to get projects done uh, to make a difference, impact investors that want to see change. Uh, I feel yeah. very blessed to be in this role. I can feel it just in the conversation with you now. Uh, you know, I want others to be able to experience the joy that you have for the job. Every time I speak yeah. with you, you're all smiles and you are so energetic. Yeah. Uh, hopefully Franz can, can carry the enthusiasm, the banner as you depart from this. But I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to say thank you to you, Jackie, for thank taking you. the time to, to join us as a co-founder and offer your voice, something that we don't often get to do in a Suncast interview. I, a pleasure to be here. As you know, Nico, I am such a huge fan. I mean, for years I've been listening to you, what you bring to the market for folks to hear and understand, stand out, important work. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Look forward to hearing how your audience uh, receives it. I'm sure you have a lot of folks in your vortex that I haven't listened to Suncast yet. So I'm grateful for you and, and everyone else uh, like you who helps to, to spread the message. I just, I'm just a message bearer. I, I provide the channel. And, and now I'm well, off to chat with a very interesting nonprofit who is uh, looking to potentially uh, finance uh, some solar projects in LMI communities. Wonderful. So, well, well, we'll get, we'll ask folks to go sign up yeah. to be a member and watch, so they'll see when that when that yeah. opportunity comes up on the platform. <laughs> you know, I've worked with a lot of hard driving people in mm -hmm. my years um, in, in government and on campaigns, and mm -hmm. Jackie is honestly uh, the hardest worker I've ever worked with. Wow. Um, she is just incessant. Right in the wall. <laughs> it is yeah. it is uh, incredible to behold. I thought I thought I was you know you know my work ethic is is uh, sort of what I mean it is what got me where I am. But for you know I, I'm still learning things from Jackie every day um, about yeah. how, you know what dedication means and and also uh, you know uh, you know her her financial breadth of experience is truly tremendous. Um, so. I, I am, we're incredibly fortunate to have her on the team. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative 
solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. The tracker market is complex, but you want to maximize profits when installing or specifying tracker systems for your utility scale or large distributed generation solar projects. So use Trina Tracker with its innovative technology that can cut up to 200 man hours. Trina Tracker makes installations easier and faster so you can speed up installation times, reduce labor costs, and lower LCOE to achieve optimal project value. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really going to be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score of the value of your survey and design process? Would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanifly next Wednesday, the 31st of May at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Or maybe it's this Wednesday, or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay at any point. You are going to benefit from the insights that we're going to reveal. The benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys, it's all there. I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scanifly. See you there. You know, when, when you and I first met, I knew that you had spent time in D.C. and that you kind of grew up in the breadbasket of America. I was surprised to hear that you were born and uh, also raised, for all intents and purposes, in Oakland. Tell me about that uh, formative time in your life and how uh, you were ostensibly ripped away from paradise, as we often refer to California sometimes, uh, in the Bay Area, certainly. I lived in Oakland as well, uh, and how that changed, kind of changed uh, the way that you approach the world. Tell me a bit about your, um, your upbringing and how it informed who you became. Yeah. Well, I, as you said, you know, I, I was born in Oakland. Um, when I was a baby though, we moved to Marin County, California. Um, so the other side of the Bay, which, uh, is, you know, lush with all sorts of, uh, open space and incredible, incredible nature. Uh, and, and where I lived, which, which was actually a, a government backed, uh, housing, uh, project um, that that my parents got involved in and helped build it was sort of a communal uh, building project where I, I I grew up was just abutting uh, this uh, immense amount of open space. So my backyard was you know the Marin Hills. <laughs> so mm. as a kid, I was tremendously spoiled with the you know Amazing. the the splendors of of the natural world, and of course you know loved every minute of it uh, running around in the hills and. And so that, you know, that appreciation uh, stuck with me and has stuck with me my whole life. And it wasn't really until I moved to Iowa uh, when I was 13 years old, uh, because my mom took a job teaching at the University of Iowa, uh, that I really understood how fortunate I was um, in, in that sense. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, Iowa is, is a tremendous community as well. And, and I learned to appreciate that um, over my you know, high school and adolescent years there, but such a different relationship with the environment, you know, that, that folks there have where it's, it's one of control and of, 
uh, of management and and you know conservation and uh, using the natural resources uh, to yeah. to produce sustenance and and nutrition and, and food um, yeah. as as the main you know focus um, and and so you know I, I did come to appreciate that uh, but I also missed California so when I got to my uh, college decisions uh, I had nowhere else on the map other than uh, California and I landed at UC mm. Santa Cruz. Banana slugs. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and and so lived the slug life for for four years there, uh, and again, you know, was back into uh, the West Coast uh, splendor of of the natural world, mm-hmm. beaches and uh, redwood forests, etc. Yeah. And that's really where um, my my studies began to focus on linguistics and politics and and mm-hmm. then uh, environmental, you know, climate issues. Well, Franz. I know that uh, you know, unlike Jackie, who sort of went immediately into finance and the field that she uh, has, where she's executed her expertise for many decades, you transitioned out of, or sort of into and out of politics. But you got involved in politics quite early in life. You caucused in Iowa before the age of seventeen. Tell me about how politics became an important piece, and it's interesting, obviously, in Iowa to the the formation that ultimately led you to a decade plus uh, career with the Obama administration. Kind of walk me through that. Certainly. So, you know, my, my parents were very politically active. Um, in fact, they took me to a Bill Clinton rally in 1992 at the, the Cow Palace nice. uh, on my birthday, which also, what? you know, because it's right around election day. Um, yeah. I, I uh, so anyway, I, I got in line and I remember holding up my balloon and, and having uh, Bill Clinton actually touch the balloon that I had um, as a kid. And, and that was, you know, exciting. But it really wasn't until I moved to Iowa that I, I thought seriously about, uh, you know, political action as a, a tool. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I was uh, searching for friends in a, a new environment and found my way into uh, the Iowa Student Political Action Co- uh, Committee and uh, got to actually run some of the first online voting pilots, um, make phone calls for the Gore campaign back in 2000, um, mm-hmm. and, and go and caucus wow. as, a, as a young person. Um, it turns out in Iowa, you can actually caucus before you're 18. You can go into the room and try to influence voters. Um, whether yeah. or not people are going to listen to a you know, 17-year-old kid uh, is, is up to them. But <laughs> Well, part of the history we talked about is your work in the Obama administration, Special Envoy to Cli- for Climate Change, um, which you've described to me as a life-changing experience. What what uh, prompted you to go back to Iowa in 2008 and uh, work on the Obama campaign? And how did that sort of roll into the next sort of decade of experience for you? Yeah, well, so, uh, you know, in college, I had focused my studies on uh, two majors, linguistics and politics. And then I was in the mm-hmm. environment school. And so I had that as a core course. Um, but I wanted, you know, I was very into George Lakoff, um, who is a, a cognitive scientist, um, wrote this really formative book, uh, seminal book uh, called uh, Moral Politics. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and famously, don't think of an elephant. Of course, the first thing you think of is an elephant uh, when, you hear, when you hear people say that. And that, that's the George Lakoff work. Um, and so I was eager to apply that in the real world, you know, take, uh, take those learnings and apply it in, in praxis. I was working at this law firm uh, doing unlawful detainer actions, which are evictions. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I was just, you know, <laughs> having to answer the phone from answer calls uh, from tenants that were getting evicted, which was just gut wrenching as a, as a young idealistic kid. Um, I had been following President or at the time Senator Obama's campaign. He was by far my favorite candidate. Um, and at a certain point, you know, one of his mailings or, or his emails uh, had created this fellows program. And I signed up and said, you know, hey, maybe I can get into this thing. And it turns out that they had a few openings. Um, and I took an opportunity to leave my job as a paralegal, move to Iowa and join the Obama campaign in June of uh, 2008, um, which, you know, was was truly, um, uh, you know, a, a life changing decision. So you were kind of swept up in the politics of uh, as many of us were at the Obama administration and had a chance to work in multiple departments, um, even volunteering on the presidential inaugural committee. Could you give us a sense of how you ultimately found like the direction? I mean, a lot of folks maybe are even thinking like, how do I navigate DC? And we've got elections coming up in a couple of years, like very much in the same cycle that you were in um, when you, when your career started. So that for those who are in their um, impressionable years, what, uh, how did it work for you? Yeah. Uh, cut the strings to your kite, you know, uh, let, let the wind take you where it does. Um, mm -hmm. For me, that was going back to Iowa as a field organizer um, making phone calls, knocking doors, and organizing voters, and and really, you know, that's a sales job um, in, yeah. in the corporate world. Um, but on campaigns, um, that was everything. Uh, field really is where you know the campaign interacts directly with voters. I was so swept up in that I didn't see past the election, November fourth, you know, two thousand and eight, until the day after when we had you know been you know President Elect Obama had been declared. Yeah. And there was an all staff call and uh, the, the president elect and the vice president elect, Joe Biden, got on the phone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will never forget this because uh, Joe Biden, whether scripted or not, said, you know, and if you guys all want to come to Washington, um, we've got a place for you. And that was the first time I thought, oh, my gosh, I could perhaps go and work for government. And and sure enough, you know. A couple months later, uh, I got a volunteer gig on the presidential inaugural committee, organizing voters or, or organizing volunteers on the National Mall uh, for the actual inauguration. Mm. Um, wow. And I wound up taking a couple of different internships. Uh, the first lady's office uh, on, on correspondence uh, was 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 one of them, and then on Capitol Hill uh, for, for two different offices there. Uh, before I actually landed a job uh, working at the U.S. Department of Agriculture in the Office of Congressional Relations, uh, which was my first uh, federal uh, job. We can spend a lot of time on kind of what you did there and what you learned, but ultimately you decided that uh, you wanted to evolve your career and, um, you know, sort of leave politics for m something more. You did this in the form of going back to grad school. Could you tell me about some of the observations that you made in your work on Capitol Hill that informed both where you went, kind of where you went to school, what you went to school for, and what you intended to do with that education? I won't take you through all the, the politics of the day on climate because mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's all very well documented. But uh, needless mm -hmm. to say, you know, for a long period of time, the battle was simply to get, you know, confirmation from everyone that uh, indeed climate change is happening and we're not denying that it's happening. Right. Um, and we need to do something about it. 
Um, and I was already very intent on doing something about it and you know, throwing my shoulder to the yoke to do that. Um, so I spent um, all eight years in the Obama administration working on energy and conservation and climate um, at the USDA, at the White House, and then ultimately at the U.S. State Department um, to help negotiate the Paris Agreement on climate change. Um, and throughout all of that, as I was kind of processing that experience um, towards the end of 2016, um, I kind of took away two main themes. Um, and one was that, um, you know, money was always the issue, whether that was, uh, you know, paying for programs uh, to, to do energy efficiency back in 2009 with the Recovery Act, um, or, you know, in international climate negotiations, whether uh, developed or developing countries were going to pay for the emissions reductions uh, and and technology advancements that that needed to happen, mm-hmm. money was the core of all of the the dispute and also you know the uh, the, the yeah. need. Um, and then the other was just that you know that there there weren't enough people working on the issue um, at the at mm-hmm. the time. You know, even at the corporate level, um, CEOs were starting to make commitments, but uh, many many uh, big companies had zero grasp of you know sustainability as a goal, um, no climate yeah. targets, or they were just making their first ones, and they really were sort of grasping at straws to figure out how do we implement mm-hmm. against this you know now global commitment uh, to keep warming below two degrees and, and make best efforts to keep it at one point five degrees uh, C. Mm-hmm. So um, more people needed to get involved and. And, and those two motivations really were strong for me when I went back and started to focus on studying uh, at, at the Yale School of Environment and how, how do we do this? Uh, and that, that was the seeds of what ultimately became Raised Green. Did you, coming out of that study at Yale, know that you were going to start a company or did you get a job? At what point did Raised Green become that seed of an idea and and you decided I'd rather spend my time on this than go get sort of a real job. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the tipping point from, for me was when we, when we won Startup Yale, uh, when we, we had the pitch mm. competition. It was specifically the Aetna Foundation Prize for Health Equity Innovation uh, that we won. Okay. Um, and that yeah. was uh, kind of an opportunity to, to put money behind uh, the company shell that we had started. Um, yeah. But no, I, I definitely did not go to school thinking I was going to start a company. Um, in fact, you know, I, I went to school under really personally extremely challenging uh, circumstances because in December of, t- of 2016, I actually lost my sister um, in a, a car accident um, mm. and, you know, just totally devastated me um, and, you know, was trying to process all of that as I, I went back to school in, in, you know, spring of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in, in retrospect, you know, I do think that that um, did change my risk tolerance in a way that uh, said you know, mentally, like, what is the risk of starting a business and failing? Yeah. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. certainly not life or death. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly something that I can tolerate as a living human on the planet um, right. And, you know, this is, this is, seems like a worthwhile endeavor, you know, might as well throw myself into it. And then, you know, here five years later, uh, <laughs> living the founder life, 
um, it is uh, an experience that, uh, you know, has been tremendously challenging in and of itself. How did you come up with the fundamental idea for Raise Green as it currently stands versus the initial idea as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, so, so my classmate, Matt Maroney, and I um, had met on the very first day of orientation at school. Um, and we got to debating, you know, what are the best ways to get people to actually take action on climate? We were in a couple different courses together in that first semester, one of which was uh, Green Engineering and Sustainable Design, taught by Paul Anastas and, and Julie Zimmerman, both of which are, you know, scions in, and you know, incredible thought leaders in green chemistry. Mm -hmm. And they taught this very open-ended course around uh, innovation and uh, putting to work uh, technology. And in that class, uh, we, we came up with this idea to develop mobile air quality sensors and to use them to raise awareness around air pollution as a proxy mm -hmm. for carbon pollution and get more people right. to take action on, on climate by becoming more aware of, of the, you know, air pollution implications that are antecedent with, with carbon pollution. That was kind of our first foray. And we, yeah. we won a little grant from, uh, from the Yale Center for Business and Environment. And then uh, we were doing an interview actually with, with GreenBiz. During the interview, you know, we both were like going back and forth about what do we want people to do you know, once they're mm. aware of like these, this problem and it's, it's, it's all sort of documented in that interview where we effectively made a pivot, like during the interview to say, what we actually want people to do is to put their money to work, to address these air pollution and, you know, related climate challenges in environmental justice communities. Uh, and, and then, you know, we kind of took that back and we're like, what did we just figure out? And <laughs> wrote it up in a, a one page cool. uh, kind of summary and um, and really really didn't look back you know just turned the company from airware into raise green uh, and started to pursue uh, you know this this platform uh, where people can make climate investments uh, that's really interesting so as you d discovered this you like many others realized that um, awareness about your plan platform um, is uh, only one ingredient, having assets and getting people to invest in those assets is another. How, how did you get early projects going with Raise Green? Oh, well, um, you know, the first three years of the business uh, really was was boiled down to two things. It was getting our FINRA membership so that we could transact mm -hmm. the sale and issuance of securities as a funding portal. No easy task mm -hmm. uh, from scratch. And then mm -hmm. second was, you know, building pipeline and, uh you know, building the trust because, you know, not only was this a new and novel way to finance projects, but we were, you know, first time entrepreneurs working to develop relationships with well-established right. uh, solar developers or, you know, other types of businesses. And so right. we had to really cut our teeth and, and uh, continue to iterate on, you know, the product, the financial product until we landed our first client. Um, and, and that was the National Energy Improvement Fund. Um, and actually, they've been with us ever since. Wow. Now, you like like others, we've had Energia on, we've had Kevin from Finite on, like you all have as on some level had to basically go and create a project to prove out the use case. What was that project for you? And, and tell me a bit about the early days, like New Haven Community uh, Solar and sort of how, how you 
used that to do exactly what you just described. Yeah, well, our, our intention, you know, from the very early days was to uh, solve a financing challenge for mid-sized solar projects, CNI solar, mm-hmm. uh, really, you know, 50 kilowatts to five megawatts in size. Yeah. And at the time, and still today, those are probably the most difficult projects to finance um, because, yeah. you know, they have all of the same complications as a utility scale project or, or many of them. And, and yet, you know, there's the margins are much slimmer because, you know, they're producing a lot less electricity. Um, and so we took our own customer journey and we said, if we can do this, you know, then we can replicate it. Um, and so in that spring of 2018, um, after winning Startup Yale, we spent a good part of the summer uh, developing a small solar project in New Haven mm-hmm. on the rooftop of uh, a nonprofit called Columbus House. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then using crowdfunding to pay for it. Um, and so we raise, we wound up raising, uh, about, uh, $80,000 from, from, uh, about 126 different crowd investors wow. and building, uh, what we believe is the first fully equity crowdfunded solar project in the U S both of which are still operating today. We built a second one the year after. Um, and we also mm-hmm. conducted what I think it, as well as the smallest tax equity partnership flip in the country uh, on an 11 kilowatt solar array. So people have called us crazy for that one. Um. <laughs> so I will note that I don't know that that would be the first. And I'll tell you how I can say that categorically, because I developed an 11 kilowatt on York School in California in 2008 that solar power partners had to keep on their balance sheet when they sold to NRG that, in fact, is the same exact model, tax equity. It wasn't a crowdfunded project, yes. but <laughs> they had to keep it. They had to actually to keep it on. The, it couldn't get rid of the, of, the, of the projects. It still is, as far as I know, on NRG's balance sheet. Um, that, that notwithstanding, that's quite an interesting string of um, entrepreneurial bets that you've made. It's like to even get in today's age, like, in 2008, when we did that project, that was a reasonable bet for a small startup PPA company to make. In 2020, that that took a lot of that took a lot of campaigning to bring it all back to to full circle. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'm delighted to know that we're we were not the first. Um, I will never say that again. So because now I know that I, that we weren't. Um, and and then second of all, yeah, you know. Um, we were trying to we were trying to prove a point, which was that you can mm. we we can organize uh, a group of concerted investors um, to put small dollar denominations at, at our lowest uh, investment amount. Actually, was fifty dollars. So we have several fifty dollar wow. investors in New Haven Community Solar that uh, mm. that came in and 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 use crowdfunding to finance solar. And you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, it worked. It you know, we're still operating those projects. Um, and we've used a lot of those learnings and those documents now um, to, to structure projects that we're listing on Raise Green. Let's talk about that, actually, because one of the things I think is, like for me, it is one of the coolest elements. We talk about it. Uh, we've talked about it on a number of interviews here, is the ability for the uh, attracting retail investors. And traditionally, the only way to invest in these projects was to be an accredited investor. Uh, what uh, you have been able to unlock is retail investors, non-accredited investors can invest 
uh, oh, and also like previously, the the minimum investment was a thousand, five thousand, twenty five thousand, uh, and you had to know somebody who would invite you into a round um, on the to be in the equity round of a project like this. Uh, you had to have tax equity, et cetera. It was really difficult. You were selected, however, by Connecticut Green Bank as a platform specifically because they wanted to offer a lower threshold of investment to get people into project. Can you talk to me about that, how fast it went, like why they selected you? Just to sort of, I'll give you a chance to just sort of brag about that as a proving ground and, uh, and a, a checkbox that says, yep, Ray's Green has finally like come of age. Certainly. And that's a, that's a great characterization. You know, working with the Connecticut Green Bank is as the first green bank in the U.S. and, and as a, a real innovator in, you know, green finance writ large um, is, mm-hmm. is a tremendous honor. And it, it came after many years, I will say, of, of campaigning, um, you know, from the early days uh, as students when we were working on this idea. Um, I remember our very first deck, actually, where we pitched at Startup Yale uh, had had their logo and said, you know, we want to we want to get them to list on Raise Green. And <laughs> it took us you know, from that day, which was 2018, until their first offering, uh, which which actually was uh, 2022, um, you know, it took us four years. Um, and that, that came through many different conversations, but ultimately they actually put out an RFP for um, innovative capital formation. And mm-hmm. so we, we wrote, uh, I was just looking at it the other day, actually, we wrote like a 20 page submission on, you know, our track record to date, um, why, why, um, you know, activating more investors from small dollar backgrounds was important. And they wanted to, because they had some internal research as well, um, that basically the, the optimal investment amount for a retail investor mm-hmm. is closer to uh, $500 than it is to $1,000. Um, and a $1,000 uh, investment amount was the lowest that they could get with a kind of traditional uh, bond broker. Um, right. And so- you know, that confluence of motivations, you know, gave them, I think, the, the confidence in, in our team to, to take a chance and to structure that very yeah. first green bond uh, cert- certificated offering in the U.S. Yeah. Can you, are you at liberty to share that document if folks wanted to see kind of how you positioned Raise Green? Um, probably. It, it's, it may even be public record. So let me, okay. <laughs> let me check. If you... Yeah, I'm making a note here to try and uh, see if we can surface that. If we can, uh, you'll be able to find it in the show notes if we've been able to surface that document. So check, you'll want to check the show notes at mysuncast.com. Um, you mentioned to me when we were having dinner that it was the fastest ever raise. And how, how so sort of characterize that for me. The Connecticut Green Bank has has now done five offerings on Raise Green. And the fifth one um, was actually the fastest raise that we've ever filled. Um, so we listed that uh, in early January of 2023, and in four days, it had fully subscribed up to the maximum. Uh, we wound up closing it. So that just happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amazing. So momentum is is great right now. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> for them. So my understanding is one of the keys there is that Connecticut Green Bank chose to work with Raise Green because you have this, uh, this Reg CF platform, you have an audience ready to invest. And you were able to give them that $100 minimum investment instead of 500 
are you aware of anything else that sort of tipped the scales for them to work with you? And then I'm also curious as you answer that, explain to me how you make money. Like where does where does your capital sit in there and and how you pay yourself out of that? Yeah, I think in addition to those reasons you mentioned um, as to why mm-hmm. the Green Bank decided to work with Raise Green, um, is that we also were really dogged about sorting out an exemption. Um, in fact, it had to be a double exemption um, from the Muni rules where they had issued securities mm-hmm. before, and then from the Investment Company Act. Um, so you can't you can't issue securities under Reg CF for an investment company. Um, and so we worked through that legally to sort out this double exemption that gave us the ability to, to issue their securities. You know, they were highly motivated in a, and still are today at uh, prioritizing the small dollar investor uh, because they share that motivation of getting more people involved in, in the climate uh, response. So at Race Green, we make money in three ways. Um, we have a listing fee that is nominal. Um, it's a thousand dollars to list a project on the marketplace. Um, we take a mm-hmm. success fee at the end of the raise when the company has successfully raised the money, um, so that you know we only benefit when that company has has succeeded um, in their yeah. goals. And then uh, we also have the capability of taking a, a security stake as compensation for doing the offering, um, yeah. and that will allow us to, um, in the same class and type as is being sold in the offering benefit from an ownership stake in that in that deal. Can you give me an example, maybe with the Connecticut Green Bank um, or with another, like maybe a project-based um, raise so that folks, so I can wrap my head around what it looks like for you to take compensation as a security stake? So actually one we just finished, um, it's called New Hampshire mm-hmm. Solar Garden. Um, it's a mm-hmm. 56 kilowatt array up in New Hampshire on a community center. And uh, the developer sold securities. So he you know paid the listing fee upfront, um, sold securities of about $100,000, and Raise Green got compensated 5% as a success fee. And then we also mm-hmm. took um, a security stake in that deal of, of 1%. Um, and so that gets issued to us as, as security, so as, as debt, and just like the crowdfunders are buying, and it will pay out over uh, the, the three-year life of that security and, and pay us back plus interest. You know, pipeline is uh, an issue for, so platform suggests that you have supply and demand. Tell me about your role as a CEO, balancing supply and demand, and give me a sense of the success for you of the, the hardest part, which in my mind is this, is the pipeline of projects that need to be funded. Yeah, well, I, I, w- I would agree that, you know, the supply side of projects has been the biggest hurdle to date. Um, and yet, um, you know, last summer, we started to see just a tremendous influx of applications to raise money on Raise Green mm-hmm. um, to the point of, uh, you know, as of today, our pipeline is six times larger than it was uh, in you know June of, of last year. Um, now over $90 million of folks applying and asking you know, to list their projects. Um, and so that, that um, you know, I think got some tailwinds from the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, yeah, and also you know the tightening capital markets of, of people looking uh, to, to new and more novel ways to raise capital, but that certainly has us uh, buzzing and excited about uh, realizing the promise of those those many projects now in the queue. Now our our biggest challenge ultimately today is is liquidity. So turning those twenty thousand members into forty thousand members, 
turning those 3,000 investors into you know 10,000 investors um, and and uh, you know drawing out uh, sufficient amounts of of interest and investment um, from from the multitudes. Well, it seems like you've built the you know, the team and the infrastructure to do it, and now it's a question of holding on to the tail of the tiger. As uh, as the industry grows, you got the IRA behind you. You got a lot of interest publicly as folks start to think about how they transition uh, their personal treasure into something they believe in, you know, and giving them an alternative to uh, an index fund or an equity uh, market that is in in tumult in many ways. They can invest in infrastructure. Uh, do you offer the ability? Is it possible? in the way it is on some other platforms to invest through IRAs or 401k, things like that? It definitely is, yes. Um, so uh, investors can use uh, an Alto IRA account, which is a certain type of, of uh, individual retirement account. Um, they can invest out of uh, family trust. Uh, we can take investment from any type of investor now, accredited, non-accredited, institutional, mm -hmm. um, family office, uh, you know, entity or individual. You mentioned earlier that you are uh, sort of, I, I use the adage, eating your own dog food, but walking the walk, right? You're rounding out a, a funding round for Raise Green and you're putting yourself on the market. Uh, tell me a bit about your process with WeFunder right now for those who might be interested. They've been really um, sort of teased here with Raise Green and want to learn more. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, we, we've been living this world of, of crowdfunding from uh, both the issuer side under New Haven Community Solar in the early days and now the platform side. And we've raised, you know, a, a good bit of money, uh, you know, $2.7 million from private investors under Reg D offerings, which is the typical way for a startup to, to raise money from angel investors and VCs. We ultimately decided we need to let, we, we need to walk the walk. Uh, we need to put our stock mm -hmm. where our values are, and we need to open up a crowdfunding round so that uh, the folks who you know, believe in what we're doing and want to have a part of of that going forward, and you know, hold on to the the tail of the tiger, as you say, um, can put some money in into the company and see what happens. Um, so you know, we are we're using WeFunder for it. Um, it's the same terms that we have issued to. Uh, about one one point six million dollars of prior investors would love to have folks take a look at it. You know, Franz, um, at the time of publishing, this is going to be mid-April. Is there still an opportunity for folks to jump in there? Yes, uh, in fact, you know, with Earth Day uh, just around this time, uh, we would encourage everybody to, to take a look. Um, you can be a mm -hmm. part of the foundation of this movement to democratize climate investing. Uh, by checking us out at, at wefunder.com slash raise green. Uh, and mm -hmm. opening up this community round is our way of letting everybody own a piece of raise green uh, and putting our, our company uh, stock where our values are. Franz, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the, the milestones, but one of the reasons that we do this, and it's in the name of the category, in fact, that we are working on, uh, is the impact investing. A lot of folks, in fact, have considered that impact investing is is what people do when they don't need a return because they just want to have that impact. And that's the, that's the social return they want. Um, I, I want you to talk a bit about the impact of the investment. And then I actually want you to, um, to define a term that I've heard you use before investor, because <laughs> I think that's one that I don't know if you made it up, but it certainly caught my ear and I wanted to 
get a sense of a, a better understanding of that and introduce it to, into, into the conversation and the lexicon that we use? Certainly. Well, I'll start with investors. Uh, this is not, mm-hmm. I did not coin this term, so I won't claim it. Um, but, you know, the notion of, of allowing your customers to be investors in your business, um, just like what we're doing with, with selling our own securities, is a great way to, to develop sort of raving fans out of your customers uh, because mm-hmm. they know that every time they use your product, their investment is, is enhanced. Um, and yeah. so that's the combination of an investor and a customer um, and, and the, the flow both ways. We ultimately started Raise Green to have an impact. We're deeply mission-driven. Um, and what we mean by that is, you know, we're moving from a, a stage, I think, of uh, extractive capitalism to one of inclusive capitalism, um, if, if we choose mm-hmm. that future. Uh, and we really, Raise Green really exists um, to ensure that the overall benefits of this transition from uh, you know, a dirty to clean energy economy uh, is shared by, by as many folks as possible. And if we're really deliberate, righting some of those wrongs of the past, you know, addressing some of the mm-hmm. historical inequities around uh, fence line communities and environmental justice uh, and, and empowering those who want to put their capital to work across the board um, to do so. Um, so, you know, historically, we've been able to have more than half of the investments on Raise Green uh, go to companies with Black women or minority founders, which is about 10 mm-hmm. times the normal uh, average for venture capital uh, going towards the, those, those uh, folks. And by opening up access to capital um, using climate investing, uh, it's our way of sort of, you know, addressing some of those uh, those historical inequities. You know, mm-hmm. every every hundred dollars invested on our marketplace has been able to produce more than a thousand pounds of CO two reduction. Um, we've created mm-hmm. almost a hundred jobs, um, both uh, induced, direct, and um, in, indirect jobs, and and we've reduced uh, almost fifty thousand tons of CO two uh, as raised green. So. Um, we're tracking those metrics um, and really working to push the vanguard of what it means to be a sustainable finance firm. I'm really pleased to hear some of those metrics. And I think that in an era of, of ESG, which a lot of folks consider in some ways greenwashing, it's really important that we do assign and ascribe value to the non-financial return metrics, right? Because there are intangibles that uh, indirectly influence the value of the dollar invested. And uh, as Kyle, our friend Kyle Kacherik says, in the world, nothing moves until a dollar is spent. Giving people options for where to spend those dollars is a really important, uh, is an important motive. Franz, you mentioned a couple of books earlier that I'm going to link to. I had not heard of them before. And just to recount for folks, uh, it is Moral Politics and uh, both by George Lakoff, Moral Politics and Don't Think of an Elephant. Uh, I am going to go check those out. Is there one more book that you might recommend that is tip of tongue usually for you when you want to help folks uh, sort of move forward in their climate journey or in their life? Uh, well, one that I have loaded up uh, on 1.7x and Audible is uh, How Change Happens by uh, Cass Sunstein. And it's, it's a pretty, okay. uh, it's a bit dry, um, honestly, no offense to hmm. you know the author. But um, but it is tr- tremendously useful in thinking about um, what triggers um, social and uh, individual action, uh, and it's it's a useful 
uh, framing, I think, uh, to use as, as a, uh, a social entrepreneur. Very cool. I'm going to link to an article I just found. I don't know if it's by Cass. I haven't opened it. It's Harvard Law School. And then uh, there, if you just search how change happens, uh, Cass Sunstein comes up. And I want to, uh, I'm going to link to his book, of course, as we always do in the show notes. Franz, as we wrap up here, um, I'm certain that a lot of folks are going to want to connect with you, learn more about the platform, probably even invest. Where can folks uh, nerd out about climate finance through the, ve- the vehicle of Raise Green? So all of our stuff is at raisegreen.com. Please do check it out. Um, if you want to reach out and, and email me, I'll give you my email. It's franz at raisegreen.com. Really, con- really complex, but uh, <laughs> we try to keep it simple. Yeah. And uh, I'm always open to, to conversations, um, to inquiries, um, reach out to us. And Nico, I honestly can't thank you enough for the opportunity to come on uh, Suncast and uh, share our story. Yeah. Well, my friend, the, the journey is not over. It's my pleasure to be uh, a part of your journey as well. I have a final question for you, just one to pontificate on. If you look out in your crystal ball and think to 2030, we've done it and we're successful at you know raising uh, $5 trillion of individual capital into climate finance. What did we unlock? What was the key, the linchpin, as it were? Uh, you know, it, it, it moves past uh, focusing on just speed and just scale. And it goes into, it adds a third variable to that, I think, uh, which is resilience. And I say that because um, by having more people own more pieces of this clean energy infrastructure that needs to be built between now and that, uh, that future that we're headed towards of 100% clean energy and low, low emissions uh, and, and climate resilient communities, everyone needs to have a role in that. Um, and if they can see themselves in that um, and they can benefit from that transition, uh, then we've been tremendously successful. I love that. Well, the folks at Raise Green are enabling, empowering, and uh, and walking the walk in that that vein and that effort. It's truly been a pleasure to meet you and Jackie. Thank you both for your time today on the show. And I hope to hear stories from our listeners of how they've uh, how they've participated in your WeFunder or, uh, or or joined as an investor in one of your projects. And hope you'll come back and share. Uh, your success stories with us in a year or two, Franz. It's great to meet you and to see you again. Look forward to having you back. My pleasure, Nico. Uh, really wonderful. Uh, and and thanks again. Well, that's a wrap on today's conversation with these practical solar warriors building tools to elevate project finance and to allow you, the retail investor, to direct your treasure as well as your time into well-meaning and meaningful projects. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Franz and Jackie. I want to thank Jackie and Franz for taking time out of their busy schedule to help educate us on what is happening in the world of climate finance. What did you think of that episode? Did you learn something new? How are you going to apply it to your business and your professional career? Reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll link to this in both the show notes as well as right there in the podcast player in the description so that you can connect I love LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter occasionally as well, but LinkedIn is my platform, social media platform of choice. I hope that you'll tune in next week. We've got a very exciting week coming up. What will we be talking about next week? Well, 
will be cameoing a friend of mine, Mr. John Engel, and one of his very interesting interviews from the Factor This podcast. That's coming up on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, my friend Alina Folks, venture partner alongside me and Kyle Cherick at Climate Avengers, delving once again into the conversation around climate finance. How do we put dollars behind the innovations we need to save our planet? Alina has done a lot of thinking about it, and she and I are going to discuss a very special project in next Thursday's episode. I hope you'll join us. As always, if you are eager to find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion, along with how you could connect with our guests, listen to their book recommendations, or just check out more research that I dug up in prep for this episode, you can find it at mysuncast.com, clicking on the show notes tab. Thanks once again to our sponsors who help make this content free to you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. And hey, that's also where you're going to learn how you could partner with us to reach thousands of solo warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to, and I'm grateful that you listen to me. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.